This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me in the One Verse Podcast today. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1.7. In the last episode of this podcast, I mentioned that the blood of Jesus does not purchase forgiveness of sins for us from God. And that was a challenging idea. It sparked quite a bit of conversation on Facebook. And uh, so today we're going to look at a similar concept from Ephesians 1.7, where Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Doesn't that contradict what I taught? No, actually, uh, it doesn't. Uh, I am not disagreeing with Paul. So that's what we are going to discuss in today's podcast episode. And I also want to let you know that the topic of this podcast study is also found in my book, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. You can get that on Amazon if you want, paperback, Kindle. I think it's also available on Google Play, Kobo, iTunes, uh, Barnes & Noble, pretty much anywhere books are sold. You probably even go down to your local bookstore and purchase it through them if you'd like. Uh, And also, we have an online discipleship group where I have a course. It's called the Gospel Dictionary. And I'm going to be mentioning several key words in today's study. Words like forgiveness and redemption and wrath and sin and blood. And honestly, to understand what Paul is saying, you sort of need to understand all of those words. All right, so this Gospel Dictionary is exactly what I try to do. It looks at 52 keywords of the Gospel. If you're in a Bible study or something, this would be a great one-year Bible study for you to take, uh, you know, even do with other people. And at the end of that year, 52 keywords, one word per week, you will have a much better grasp of the Gospel than you ever before imagined. Okay, so I will be mentioning some of that today. Now, uh, the, the course itself is like $297. Please, do not pay that. I don't want you to pay that, okay? Um, That's way too expensive. I mean, the value is way beyond that. I have hundreds of hours of teaching there. Um, So the way to do it, way way to get it for much cheaper, is just join my online discipleship group. $9 a month, and uh, you get all of my courses for free. It's over $1,000 value right now, and I'm adding more stuff there all the time. Uh, Plus, I send out free eBooks. I just sent the group this morning. Uh, an ebook on prayer. I'm, I'm sorry, on faith. Been working on um, helping people understand what faith is, how faith works. So I just sent that ebook to them this this morning, and uh, lots of other good stuff as part of the discipleship group. And of course, a private Facebook group, which some people say is their favorite part of the group. You get to in- interact with other people all over the world: uh, Austria, Switzerland, South America, uh, South Africa. Uh, it, couple in Asia even. So anyway, and of course, lots here in North America as well. So anyway, to join, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join, and you'll see all the details there. All right, so let's get into this study of Ephesians 1.7. In Ephesians 1.7, Paul writes, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So in last week's podcast study, I said that the blood of Jesus does not purchase forgiveness of sins for us from God. And we looked at uh, a text from Matthew uh, to that effect. So the question that came up this past week is, what about Ephesians 1, 7? 
Also, by the way, someone asked about Hebrews 9.22, and uh, we will be looking at that verse next week, so make sure you join us then. Today we're just going to be looking at Ephesians 1.7, though, and a related uh, passage in Ephesians 2.13, okay? So, um, is Paul refuting what I said last week? That Jesus, the blood of Jesus, did, did not purchase forgiveness of sins for us from God? I'm saying no. Uh, In fact, uh, Paul and I are in 100% agreement on this. In fact, what I am teaching, I learned by a careful study of Paul. So I'm basing my idea on a careful study of his words and his ideas, not just in Ephesians, but also in a lot of uh, other texts he wrote. So what we're going to do is just do a quick study of Ephesians 1-7. Now, first of all, let's give a little bit of an overview of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians itself has been widely misunderstood. All right, especially in light of what it teaches regarding salvation. Um, and I have some sermon manuscripts on my website, by the way. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash sermons slash Ephesians, and you can see all of my sermon manuscripts there. I'm adding more all the time, by the way, as I work my way through. Uh, I've taught through the book of Ephesians multiple times in the past, and so I'm just adding some of those sermon manuscripts. By the way, some of those sermon manuscripts are from years and years ago, where uh, my theology was much different than it is today, and I try to mention that at the top of the sermon manuscript if things have changed. And I also try to show how... Uh, Some of my theology has changed. Uh, So you can read that. That will help you. Some of those manuscripts will help you understand what the book of Ephesians is all about. Uh, Also, some of the gospel dictionary entries from my online course. But here's a basic summary of Ephesians. All right. Uh, The basic message of Ephesians is that due to religion, okay, mankind's attempt to, you know, get God to love us again, even though he never stopped. That's part of the problem with your religion. The basic message of Ephesians is that due to religion, human beings have lived in rivalry and violence with each other since the foundation of the world. Okay, But now, in Jesus Christ, we've been shown a new way to live life so that all of these hostilities can now cease. Now, I understand that that's probably a different understanding of Ephesians, a different summary of Ephesians than what you have often been uh, taught, Uh, but I do try to bring some of that out in my sermon manuscripts on Ephesians to show you how this all fits. All right, so now there's still a struggle, okay? Jesus came and he founded the church. We have the Holy Spirit. We have our inheritance, okay? All of this is related to salvation in the course of then. There at the end in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul is applying some of this, well, all the way through 4, 5, and 6, the church, uh, the family, how to, how to interact with each other in this world, and then this whole uh, spiritual warfare thing in Ephesians chapter 6. There's still the struggle, of course. Uh, Jesus has won the battle, but there's still ongoing battles here and there. Jesus won the war, but there's still ongoing battles. So there's still this struggle, uh, but it's not against each other. It's not against flesh and blood, the way we've often thought it to be. It's instead against these forces, which uh, these spiritual forces, forces of darkness, which of course seek to drag us back into rivalry and scapegoating and accusation and that whole blame game thing. Okay, So that's sort of a summary of Ephesians. And uh, Paul begins to introduce this whole idea right in Ephesians chapter 1 with this long introductory sentence, uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And we're going to be, obviously, Ephesians 1, 7 that we are looking at, want to study today, uh, is right there in the middle of that long sentence. So ideally, we should study the entire sentence and see what Paul says, but but we don't have time for that. Um, Basically, leading up to Ephesians 1, 7, Paul refers, there in Ephesians 1-7, Paul refers to the redemption through the blood of Jesus. 
All right, and that is important to understand what he writes in this long sentence about adoption and election. Okay, very key words. Also, two of the words I look at in my gospel dictionary. Uh, and all of this, this whole concept of inheritance, adoption, election, okay, all, all helps us understand Paul's words in Ephesians 1.7. So the, the basic idea of this long sentence, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is that God has made us to be his heirs so that we can have the resources necessary to fulfill our role in his family, okay? We've been adopted into his family, and God gives us the resources so that so we can fulfill our role in his family. We're not just supposed to sit around and twiddle our thumbs in his family. He gave us something to do. Again, that's the, the purpose of the book of Ephesians. Tell us how to live our life in light of Jesus Christ on this earth. Okay, so uh, that's sort of the summary of this introductory sentence. But then about Ephesians 1.7, it's in this context of, of, of God adopting us, electing us into his family so that we can fulfill our role and he's given us all the riches of his inheritance that we need to fulfill our role. It's in this context that Paul mentions the redemption of blood, uh, redemption through the blood of Jesus. All right. So, uh, just to quite try to quickly define some of these key words. Redemption. What does the word redemption mean? Redemption, uh, again, you can sort of think of the book of Ruth, uh, the kinsman redeemer, this whole concept. But in, in the Bible, redemption, to redeem something, it, it means that uh, God takes something that is already his, or was his initially, and he buys it back for himself. So now it's sort of twice his. He created us. We are his, right? We belong to him, but we sold ourselves into slavery uh, to, to sin and death back there in the Garden of Eden uh, with, with Adam and Eve and, and eating the forbidden fruit, all right? I talk about that in, in my podcast as well. Go and listen to some of those podcast episodes. Uh, and so we sold ourselves into slavery, and so now God has come along and redeemed us. He has bought us back from slavery. Okay, and he did this, according to Paul, he did this through the blood of Jesus. So, uh, now what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, when we talk about, when Paul writes about Jesus redeeming us, or God redeeming us through the blood of Jesus, we need to figure, we need to start to think about, well, uh, this, this redeeming, this buying us back, clearly, uh, is the blood paid to anybody, and lots of Christian theology thinks that the blood is paid to God. God needs blood to pay off the debt of sin. It's a really a pagan idea, by the way, and it's not taught anywhere in Scripture. And so uh, in ancient times, people thought that, well, maybe the blood was paid to, G or to Satan. Uh, maybe he demanded blood sacrifice, and so Jesus paid off Satan. I don't think that idea is taught in Scripture either. All right. Uh, the blood of Jesus was not used to pay off God or to pay off Satan. Neither of these are biblical ideas. And again, if you're thinking about Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Okay, we'll talk about that next week in our podcast episode then. Okay, so make sure you join us. So uh, what did Jesus redeem us? How, how did he, uh, you know, buy us? What, what did he buy us back from with his blood? Well, the answer is in the context. The redemption that Jesus accomplished, the buying back that Jesus accomplished through his blood, 
was a payment or a rescue or a deliverance of humanity. Are you ready? From humanity. <laughs> we had enslaved ourselves. We sold ourselves into this endless cycle of violence and spilling of blood in God's name. That's what the entire Old Testament is all about. All the violence and bloodshed and holy wars and all of these things that are going on in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, the law, all of that is because we sold ourselves into violence, into scapegoating, into killing and blaming and accusing and condemning others and doing it all in God's name. And this is the sin that has enslaved humanity since the foundation of the world. This is the very first sin that we see in the Bible when uh, Cain murders his brother Abel. All right? So um, we had enslaved ourselves, uh, and uh, Jesus came to end this cycle, this endless cycle of violence, by participating in it, jumping right into the middle of it. Right? And in this way, he allowed us to put him to death in God's name, to accuse him and blame him. And you, you read the Gospels, this is what is happening. They called him a blasphemer and a sinner and accused him of all sorts of terrible things. All right? And then, of course, the resurrection proves that he was guilty of none of it. All right? and, and in this way, basically, Jesus is exposing this myth of redemptive violence, that violence can solve the problem of violence. He's exposing this myth that God has anything to do with violence, that God is endorsing and behind and commanding our violence. Jesus is showing us that it is we who are violent, not God. All right, And so that's why his blood need to be shed, to reveal the great lie to us. The lie that we're just killing these people because God wants us to. Jesus is saying, no, God doesn't want you to. You want to kill them, and you are blaming it on God. All right? And we know that this is what Paul is meaning, because he uses this phrase, redemption through his blood, and he ties it with this concept of the forgiveness of sins. All right? So I, again, I know the way people most often understand forgiveness of sins. They say, oh, well, we sin, and so God is uh, forgiving us for it. And we think we... We think we know what we mean those, by those words, or we think we know what the Bible means by those words, but I'm convinced most people do not. So let me just try to uh, define these two words for us as well. All right, forgiveness. Uh, again, we talked about this in last week's podcast episode. So again, I encourage you to go listen to that. I'm not going to say too much about it. But basically, there are two Greek words for forgiveness in the Bible, charizomai and aphasis. Right? And charizomai is the free, unconditional uh, forgiveness of God towards all people for all sins, past, present, and future. No conditions, no strings attached, nothing. Okay, It's based on God's grace, charis, charizomai. Right? So that's, that's, when most people think of forgiveness, that is what they're thinking of. The thing is, is there's another type of forgiveness, the aphasis forgiveness. And uh, this probably should not be translated as forgiveness, but something closer to remission or release or deliverance or something like that. All right. And this type of forgiveness always has conditions attached to it. It's not free. It is not unconditional. Usually you need to repent of it or confess or uh, change your life in some way or forgive others in order to receive this type of forgiveness or something like that. And basically what it means is that you now are, if you, if you take care of this action, perform this action, 
You are now released from the power of sin, the destructive and devastating consequences of sin in your life. God can freely forgive us, charizomai, but unless we take some sort of action, repent, confess, whatever it might be, change our life, we're not going to break free from the addictive power of sin. And so that's where Ephesus comes in. Okay, God can freely forgive us, and he does, but if we want to experience forgiveness, then we need to repent, confess, change our life, and so on. Okay, so anyway, uh, it's, it's very important that you understand the difference between those two types of forgiveness. So what word is Paul using here? It's not charizomai. It's aphasis. Okay? Jesus did not die, shed his blood, to buy charizomai forgiveness for us from God. Because God has always freely extended us. There's no, he, he doesn't have to be purchased. This sort of forgiveness doesn't need to be purchased. God did not need blood to be shed in order to extend charizomai forgiveness. It's free forgiveness based on his grace. Okay, so uh, what about Ephesus then? So this is the release. And well, guess what? In order for us to be released from our sin, yeah, Jesus needed to die because we needed to see what sin is, what sin does, what sin looks like. And so what is sin? Well, again, we think we know what sin is. Lying, stealing, you know, cheating on your taxes or whatever. Taxes are due, by the way, in 11 days. I finished mine last week. Um, uh, sin in, in, in Scripture, it includes those sorts of things, but it's only because those things lead to what really is sin. And I mentioned it briefly already. Primarily in the Bible, sin is related to the scapegoating violence that we humans do in God's name. All right, we want something or something is going wrong in our life, and so we blame others for it, and we accuse them which is satanic, by the way. Satan is the accuser, so anytime we are accusing, that is satanic. All right? Um, he's the great accuser, the one behind blame and scapegoating and all of that. Okay? Um, and so sin is related to all this. This violence, this, this, this spirit of accusation, uh, this, this bloodshed, this scapegoating, sacrificing that we do in God's name, thinking that God wants it, that God is behind it, that God desires it when he doesn't, all right? Uh, That, ultimately, is what sin is in the Bible. And most of us are blind to it, which is why Jesus had to come and reveal it to us. And that is exactly what he did through his death, his violent, sacrificial, scapegoating death on the cross, okay? And all of that then helps us understand exactly what Paul is saying. Jesus came to redeem us, rescue us, buy us back, release us from our sin, from this never-ending cycle of sacred violence, where we kill others, condemn others, accuse others, and do it in God's name. But Jesus, if he had just come and said, you guys do this, we might not have believed him, because we believe that all of the people we accuse and condemn and kill in God's name, we think they're guilty and they deserve it. But Jesus wasn't guilty. And he didn't deserve it, and we still killed him, accused him, condemned him, and we did it all in God's name. That's why nothing but the blood of Jesus can reveal our sin to us and rescue us from our sin. Because only in him and through him do we see the truth about sin and about ourselves. And most importantly, we see the truth of a better way to live, the way that God has always lived a way of love and grace and forgiveness.
Okay, so Jesus did redeem us through his blood so that we can have the forgiveness of sin, so that we can be released. We can experience the remission from our sins. And of course, as Paul says there at the end of Ephesians 1-7, God did all of this by his grace. All right? So based on that understanding of Ephesians 1-7, I hope you understand what we're talking about. This helps us understand a couple other verses in Ephesians. Let's just look at one, Ephesians 2-13. Lots of people wonder about this as well. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2-13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All right? And uh, so Ephesians chapter 2, again, probably one of the more misunderstood chapters in the New Testament. Um, the traditional understanding of Ephesians chapter 2, I, I, in the past I preached Ephesians 2 this way. You all have probably heard Ephesians 2 taught this way. But in the past, Ephesians 2 is often taught this way. Okay? Something like this. Um, we humans are evil sinners under the control of the devil and our sin nature, right? Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3. Uh, you know, we're dead, unable to do anything to please God, anything to change, right? And because of this, God's wrath burns against us, and he wants to send us all to hell, <laughs> all right? <clears throat> That's Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3, according to most people, all right? And then they go on, but thankfully, right, but God, Ephesians 2, 4, he loved us so much, he wanted to do anything to fix the problem, fix what has gone wrong, but someone had to pay the price for sin. Right? And God knew we couldn't pay it, and so he came up with a plan. He sent his son, Jesus, to pay that penalty of sin for us, pay the debt of our sin for us. And so if we believe in Jesus, we get eternal life. Right? But this still doesn't get us off the hook because God still wants us to obey him and do the good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. Right? That's generally the way Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10 is taught. And then we get to the last half of the chapter, Ephesians 2, and most people skip over this pretty quickly because they're not quite sure what to do with it. And basically, uh, Paul is saying, according to most people, right, but these good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, uh, they don't involve keeping the law and commandments because Jesus did away with those. Instead, we just need to live at peace and unity with one another by loving each other. The end. <laughs> okay? Um uh, but that 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 sort of summary of Ephesians 2 doesn't actually follow what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1. And in fact, it doesn't even fit with the rest of what Paul writes in the whole book of Ephesians. All right? Uh, in fact, it does, it does great injustice to an entire half of the chapter. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Most Christian sermons and messages on Ephesians chapter 2, they spend a lot of time talking about our problem, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and what Jesus did, what God did for us by his grace uh, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? But very little time is spent where Paul spends most of his time, which is in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So what is Ephesians 2 all about? What is Paul writing in this important chapter? The best way to see this, I think, is to sort of reverse engineer Ephesians chapter 2. If we, can, if we begin where Paul concludes, where he places the emphasis, all right, at the end of the chapter, the second half of the chapter, then if we, end, if we start there to understand where Paul is going, then that will help us understand how Paul gets there, how Paul starts. Okay, so uh, 
a basic summary of Ephesians chapter 2 is Paul does this classic problem-solution application approach. Okay, He does present a problem, that is verses 1 through 3, and then he does present God's solution to that problem, that's verses 4 through 10, and then he applies that problem, and that's where he spends most of his time, verses 11 through 22. All right, so let's go back, let's go to the end, I should say, and look at Paul's application. What Paul describes in verses 11 through 22 is the problem of religion. Remember I told you that Ephesians is about what God has done about religion, the problem of religion? Well, this is a key section to that theme in the book of Ephesians. Paul describes in verses 11 to 22 how there's been various groups of people on this earth, and they were hostile enemies with each other. This describes a lot of what's going on in our country and our world right now, and in fact, throughout all of humanity. All right? And they're hostile because one group thinks they are good with God and they condemn and kill and accuse everybody else. We have the law, you don't. Therefore, we're good with God, you're sinners, and you need to be killed. All right? And feuding groups, it's not just religion, of course, but feuding groups throughout history have used race and religion and politics as a way to divide and separate, and accuse, and slander, and scapegoat, and kill, and go to war with others. You just think of the Jew-Gentile division that Paul faced, and Jesus faced in their day. It was racial, it was political, and it was religious. It was a toxic mix of all three of the greatest things that divide humanity. So Paul comes in, in Ephesians eleven twenty two, and he describes this problem. He says, this is the great problem of humanity, this division and strife and the hostility that exists between us. And he says, but now Jesus has broken down the walls of hostility. He's brought everybody together into one family, right? There's new rules, new ways of living, and it's all revealed through the life and death of Jesus Christ. Right? If we can build on the foundation Jesus has laid for us, is what Paul says, then we can grow into the people that God has always wanted and always desired, which is exactly what we see in Jesus. Okay, so that's the application. That's where Paul's going. The problem of humanity, the division, the hostility based on race and, and, and religion and politics and everything else that separates us. And now we have a new way of living in Jesus Christ. That's the application. So now you can live this way. You can live at peace. You no longer have to accuse and condemn and divide and slander and kill. You don't have to do that anymore because of what we have seen and learned in Jesus Christ. That's the application. And Paul goes on, by the way, uh, to apply that even more in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and the rest of Ephesians as well. What's the solution then? Well, going backwards in Ephesians chapter 2, the solution is in verses 4 through 10, and what we see in Jesus. But most people think that Ephesians 2, 4 through 10 is about, you know, going to heaven when you die and how you can receive eternal life and all those sorts of things. And I do get it that the word salvation is mentioned in there and by grace through faith and all of that. Okay, I do get that. But guess what? That's not where Paul is headed in the chapter. He's not talking about going to heaven when you die or receiving eternal life or anything like that. He's talking about how we can live towards other people the way Jesus has lived toward us. And yes, Jesus revealed this to us through his sacrifice, through his death, 
on the cross. Okay, but again, this is not about receiving eternal life, going to heaven when you die, nothing like that. Okay? Uh, the solution to the problem that has plagued humanity, it is based on God's grace, it is received by faith as we believe in what God has revealed to us through Jesus and believe that this is how he wants us to live, okay? Paul's point in these verses is that even though we humans accuse, blame, condemn, and kill others, God himself has not behaved that way towards us and does not behave that way towards us as we see in Jesus Christ. God does not bring an end to life, but he raised us up to new life, seated with him in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Okay, a new way of living and ruling. We don't rule through power and war and bloodshed and violence and scapegoating and accusation. Okay, we, we rule through self-sacrifice and love and forgiveness. So he has raised us up, seated us with him in heavens. Okay, and so we can live and operate in this world in a new way. All right, so that's the point of Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. It's not about going to heaven when we die. It's about how to live on this earth while we live. And by the way, that's what the word salvation means in Ephesians. Lots of people think salvation means, you know, uh, how to receive forgiveness of sins so you can go to heaven when you die. No. <laughs> uh, almost never does the word salvation mean that in the Bible. Anyway, another word I talk about in the Gospel Dictionary, so let's move on. Uh, so now we can go back and see the problem, Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3. Uh, and again, there's so many key terms. I'm sorry to keep bringing these up, but you have to understand what the Bible means by words like dead. Uh, what the Bible, because you know, we were dead in sin. What does it mean to be dead? In fact, what does it mean? What does sin mean? We've already discussed that briefly in this podcast episode. What does the word flesh mean? And what does the word wrath mean? Again, I hate to keep bringing it up. I, I do cover all these in the Gospel Dictionary course, so I, I just don't have time in this podcast episode to, to summarize those. But basically, when all of those concepts are understood, what the Bible means by those concepts, not necessarily what you and I have been taught through, all, you know, through a lot of our Christian life and sitting in, in pews and listening to sermons, because we get a lot of bad information that way. When we understand these words, dead, flesh, sin, wrath, okay, all of these things in, in their biblical context— defining them the way Paul used them and understood them and the people understood them and used them in that day, 2,000 years ago, okay? What we see uh, when Paul begins writing about the problem of humanity in Ephesians 2 is basically what I've already been telling you. We live in a world that is filled with spirit of accusation. We condemn and we kill one another and we justify this behavior because... God wants us to. They over there are evil sinners under the judgment of God, and we are the tools, the instruments of God's judgment to pour down wrath upon them and kill them in God's name. Okay? And we do these things because in our flesh, we don't know another way to live. It's natural and normal to live this way. In fact, we live this way because we think God lives this way. All right? Uh, and even we religious people do this. We kill and are killed just like everyone else. It's the human problem since the foundation of the world. Since Cain killed Abel, this is how we have been living. This life is ruled by death. And that 
is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3. Okay, so now we can, we've sort of understood the whole flow here, and we understand Ephesians 2 a whole lot better now. This world is ruled by accusation and death and scapegoating and violence, and uh, we do all this in God's name. But this is not the, that's Ephesians 2, 1, 2, 3, but this is not the way God is. God is completely different than this. And to show us this, he sent Jesus by his grace to to save humanity, to show us a different way to live. And he did this by Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood, entering into that human problem of sin and scapegoating and sacrificial violence, which we commit in God's name, to rescue and redeem us from it. So that now, Ephesians 2, 11-22, We can do away with the dividing wall of hostility and all the things that separate and divide us, and we can live towards others like God lives towards us, with love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. That then helps us understand Ephesians 2.13, doesn't it? Right? The violent and bloody death on the cross, it revealed the truth to us about human violence, this religious, racial, political violence that divides us. The death of Jesus on the cross, his shed blood, reveals that it is we who desire death and bloodshed and sacrifice. It's not God, right? The blood of Jesus reveals that God has never wanted or needed blood sacrifice or any sacred violence of any kind, no holy wars going off to kill other people in God's name. Instead, The blood of Jesus and then the resurrection of Jesus, when he rose from the dead and did not retaliate against us for killing him, it reveals that according to God, all people are welcome. All right? Gentiles are just as near to God as anyone else. They're not kept separate and far away at a distance from God. They are not more sinful or less pure in God's eyes. There's no more dividing wall of separation, no more religious commandments and ordinances that keep us away from God's love and grace. No, in Jesus Christ, all are welcome. All are invited. The blood of Jesus, Paul says, has brought everyone near by proving that no one has ever been at a distance. It's we who made the distance. It's we who created the divisions. And now Jesus has torn them all down. So, Ephesians 1.7, Ephesians 2.13. How does the blood of Jesus redeem us? Look, God did not need to be paid off. He's not some mafia leader who's saying, you know, pay, pay me off, right, before I can extend some, some good gifts to you. <laughs> All right? Jesus did not buy off God or pay the debt of sin to God. Right? It's not as, it's, it's not, you know, look, look at it this way. In fact, I had a conversation on Facebook just about this very thing. Um, God can either get paid off or he can forgive, but he can't do both. Have you ever realized that? Look, if, if uh, someone owes you money, all right, they can either pay you what they owe you or you can forgive their debt. And so now they don't have to pay you. But you can't do both. All right? You can't, uh, after they pay you off, say, okay, I forgive your debt now. No, you're not forgiving their debt. They paid you. All right? And if you forgive their debt, then they don't need to pay you. 
right? Uh, payment of debt and forgiveness of debt are mutually exclusive. You cannot do both. And it's the same with God, all right? He cannot forgive us our sins and also get paid off for our sins with the blood of Jesus, all right? So, but Jesus did die. So why did Jesus die? To reveal the truth to us about ourselves and call us to a new way of living, show us a new way of living. Jesus died, his blood was shed to redeem, rescue, and deliver humanity from the sin and violence that we've always committed against each other and, and blamed God for. Right? Jesus wanted us to be released from our sin, and so he died to reveal our sin to us. Now that our eyes have been opened, we can live in a new way with God and with each other. We can live in peace, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, without the dividing wall of hostility, without the blame, the violence, and the scapegoating that we perform in God's name. Jesus came to show us a new way to live, and this is exactly what he did through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We have redemption through his blood because he redeemed us from our bloody ways of living, from our sinful and violent ways of revealing, of living. And he revealed to us God's way of living, which is based on love, grace, mercy, and free forgiveness. So here's how you can understand Ephesians 1, 7 and 2, 13, just to summarize it all. Through the blood of Jesus, we have been bought back from our slavery to sin and violence. We have been released from our addiction to scapegoating others in God's name. And God did this out of his great love and grace for us. Therefore, now we who were once far off from God have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus. Through him, we see a new way to live, a way which leads to peace with God and peace with one another. Look, I know I covered a lot of territory in this podcast episode. And if I've sparked some questions, you want to learn more, several ways you can do that. First of all, I recommend just getting my book on Amazon or anywhere you buy, like to buy books. Get Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. That's the book. It, it does look at five of the key words, which I do cover in my Gospel Dictionary course. Uh, sin, law, sacrifice, scapegoating, and death. And, um, and, and looks at several passages from the Bible, which talk about these words. And so I, I do cover a lot of this, this information, same information in there, and I think that book will be helpful too. If you want to dive even deeper, then you can sign up for my discipleship group and get, get access to my course, The Gospel Dictionary. The course isn't done yet, um, but eventually it will be, and, and there's lots of teaching there ready and waiting for you right now, along with the four or five other courses as well. Uh, and uh, all of that is going to help you understand the gospel better, and especially that you have been freely forgiven of all your sin, past, present, and future by God. And yet, he still wants you to make some changes in your life for your own benefit and blessing and for this world. So anyway, I think you uh, will, will appreciate one or the other or both of those. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the book, or the Gospel Dictionary online course. Uh, if you want to take the course, don't pay the $297. Just join the discipleship group. Go to redeeminggod.com join. When you do that, you also get access to the private Facebook group where we love discussing these things and other related topics as well. Anyway, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time as we study Hebrews 9.22. Until then, may your life and theology look more like Jesus Christ.